talking about my motivation on this episode of Rural Pastors Talk. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Rural Pastors Talk, coming at you from the back parking lot of Wellsboro Bible Church. I see all 20 of our glorious parking spaces out in front of me. <laughs> I, You may see all 20 of those glorious parking spaces, but I smell something. It, um, and that something, just to clarify, is not coming from me or Josh. <laughs> it's a little gassy out here. Yes, so. there's a gas leak, apparently. So UGI, the local gas company, may interrupt us. If you hear sirens or screeching tires, it's probably us. Or, so. or gas workers deriding us or a for staying sudden here. explosion that's not the rapture that's my confidence us. is in the lord <laughs> amen so my name is tj freeman i'm the lead pastor here at wellsboro bible church and it is one of the last sunny glorious warm enough to be in a t-shirt days of the year it is absolute bluebird sky out there yeah I'm so loving it. Mm-hmm. you could not drag us down into the church basement today we had to be out here it's great. And uh, I'm here with my brothers. Hey, I'm Pastor Joe Wagner from God's Family Fellowship in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. Hello, hello. My name is Joshua McLaren. I'm a pastoral assistant here at Wellsboro Bible Church. Josh, how was the hike? Uh, well, the beach was nice. Yeah, yeah, that barefoot walk up and yeah. down the beach. Yeah. Your fancy beach with your fancy friends. I mean... Your fancy <laughs> swim trunks. Fa- well, I wear shorts. Uh, I don't actually own swim trunks, so that's something. What's the difference between a trunk and a short? Um... It's meant for athletics, not swimming. Oh, so all you swimmers out there, that is not athletic. This is what Josh is saying. <laughs> you may want to you may want to Google to verify Josh's statements. Oh goodness! Uh, <laughs> no, the beach was actually painful. It was so windy; it felt like your ankles were getting sandblasted. So we really couldn't sit and enjoy. But we did swim, and oh, the water was warm, so it was poor nice. little feller. It wasn't windy on the trail, was it, Joe? No, not at all. It was only like twenty-eight degrees. It got a chilly, rainy, but it wasn't windy. A little rainy. A little Not on the rainy bad. Side. It it was damp. It was some moisture. No, but it was fun. I had lots and lots of fun doing it. It was a really good time, and um, we could bore everyone with all the glorious details. So, we but will. we were in the country when we were doing it, though. We were. That's right. And Segway. Because you are Mr. Segway, I will not talk about the trail anymore. I'll continue on with our podcast. We are here to talk about the motivation of a rural pastor. Why do pastors choose to live in the country anyway? Ah, good question. My question is, why does anybody choose to live in the country? Well, I got to tell you right now, we are sitting out here in this parking lot, and I was trying to do the math in my head. I was born two blocks away in that hospital right over there. Same. Same place. Cool. I wasn't born there. You were ahead of me. Yeah, I was ahead of you by about six or seven years. You're an upperclassman. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. So, well, that's one of the main reasons people live in the country. They born in the country, so mm-hmm. they stay in the country. And there are a lot of deep family ties here for sure. Um, some people move here by choice. In fact, when we were hiking, we ran into group after group after group of people who were from Bucks County, from Lancaster, uh, places like this, who wanted to escape the rat race and to come out here to be in the, the country. We even got a chance to pray with a couple of them. So that, that was, was cool. cool. Yeah. So here in the country, there are less people. Fewer, I think is probably the right right word. There are fewer people. What else is there? Uh, less noise and less traffic. Although I was sitting at the red light the other day at Wellsboro around 4.30 and there was quite a few cars, but generally, generally, uh, yes. generally a lot less traffic jams here in Tioga County. 
I have never showed up to a meeting late and said, guys, I'm sorry, I got stuck in traffic. I got stuck in construction. Well, construction's different, but just general traffic. Um, some of the some of the pastors in more urban contexts actually have to time their commute so they miss the traffic. Mm. That would be frustrating. It would. Mm. You know what else we have? More grass. There's grass all over the place. And uh, I've talked to some guys that come out of the concrete jungle and have visited here, and they're like, I just can't believe how fresh it is. There's grass everywhere. It's green. It's green. The air is crisp. You do not have to spray paint your yard. (laughs) I did. I've had people tell me that before. They've come from like uh, Salt Lake City, and they've said, you guys park your cars in the grass. We would never do that. Ah, it's precious. Mm -hmm. Something else we have more of, something my, my children especially enjoy seeing, and I do too, wildlife. It's just nice to see the Lord's creation. We went for a drive last night, and the, the rule was if we saw 50 deer, the kids get ice cream. Did we, they get ice cream? We didn't make it. Oh, oh. no. How far did you get? Um, only like into the 20s. Okay. Yeah, it was a rough night. Unusual. We also have domestic animals, too. Like farms are everywhere. <laughs> I thought you meant like dogs and cats. No, like, gosh, they have them in the city, too. Domesticated. <laughs> domesticated. We once we once had a singing group come and stay at our house um, when we went to our old church, and we were leaving for church Sunday morning, and we lived right next to a farm. And they were like, "Oh my gosh, guys, there's cows right, <laughs> right there. there!" And they were yeah. dairy cows, but they were like, "Let's go make a steak!" And yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. So, um, also in the country, you find that a lot of the times the people who are here are here by intention. It's not that they got transferred to a city they didn't want to live in or something. They've chosen to come into this area. So there's a like-mindedness there associated with that. People who live here live here for a reason, and they connect based on those reasons, like hunting and fishing, um, like not having to deal with people that they don't want to have to deal with. Really enjoying that slower pace that we generally live with. Absolutely. Yep. People people love it. And you know, it's a darn good place to raise your kids. Amen to that. It just is. Um, I can let my kids go out in the backyard. They play along the creek. And it's it's no big deal. They love it. Um, we can afford a house in a location like that, unlike in a, a busier, more populated area where the housing prices might be a little higher. So then the question is, we take it from why do people live in the country to the important question of why do pastors live in the country? What do you think? There's still lost people here. Okay. And pastors are the only ones who can make converts, so it's a good thing we have them. <laughs> Someone's got to shepherd them. That's true. So the church exists everywhere, yes, right? Yes. Anywhere there's Christians, there should be the church represented more formally, as you see, set up throughout the New Testament. So you have Christians gathering, they're partaking in baptism in the Lord's Supper, and it's a really good thing for them to have shepherds that we see as a, a good gift from the Lord to have elders in the local church. So there needs to be rural pastors wherever there is rural, wherever there are rural people. But there are some challenges too, right? Associated with rural ministry. You ever mm-hmm. run into a little, you ever run into an old snag in your knickers there, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> bumping your bed sheets. <laughs> um, well, you, if you're asking if rural ministry can be hard, it, I think that it can be sometimes because oftentimes we have fewer resources. Um, There's less people per capita, so less folks generally in a church, and that means that you might not have uh, a mixture of gifts and talents among your church that people would be Mm -hmm. able to serve in those sorts of areas. So so that can make it a little bit harder, and 
Um, so smaller population yeah. leads to challenges just to to do the kind of work that a church is trying to do. Right. And and also, I think in some rural communities where there's many smaller churches, there tends to be a higher sense of competition mm. between different churches. I actually had somebody come up to me the other day and um, they thought it was really weird that you and I were such close friends because we were both pastors at different churches in the same small town mm. and they just couldn't wrap their heads around that. Yeah. Even as much as I tried to explain it to them, what that was, they had a difficulty with that. Did so, you tell them fish are friends, not food? I, I, I didn't tell them that. Oh, that's I, what usually I don't works know, for me. I didn't, I don't know why I would. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's true. A lot of times you do see this competition kind of taking place because there's a small pool right. and you want to have a fully staffed, well-equipped church. And if people are going to the church next door, they're not coming to your church and <laughs> I just make lemons out of lemonade because I think just uh it was just yesterday that I'm like, hey TJ, you got some folks that can have lend a hand down here, and you're like, hey yeah, so we true. can we can send some folks down. So that was a really cool thing in rural churches that we can um, any churches if you've got smaller churches yeah. to be able to share resources like that. So some other challenges are that it's harder for pastors to do what you just described us having and to actually have friends. So there are a lot of pastors in the rural context who really are isolated. There's many miles between you and another pastor. Um, there's theological differences between you and another uh, pastor. I just want to share something. I, I mm-hmm. connected with uh, another rural pastor, and we're probably about 25 or 30 miles away. I connected I connected with them at the Nine Marks Conference at your church, and it was he was just hungry for fellowship, just hungry, hungry, hungry for that. And uh, so we had an opportunity to get a chance to, to make some plans to meet and Man, I tell you what, that's a, just an absolute blessing when, oh, yeah. we, when we can become friends and we can build those relationships to to lift one another up. Because, man, pastors, we talk the same language, we deal with the same struggles and the same frustrations. And when we can become friends with one another, hey, let's do that. So reach out and encourage one another that way. Which is really hard to do out here in the rural landscape, especially I think of some of the guys like out in the Midwest and even under the western states where it is hours. Like, you might have to drive right. two hours to get to Walmart, let alone a neighboring church. And sometimes when you're out in the trenches, the rural trenches alone, it gets really discouraging. Um, some other things, finances. You're not going to have the, the financial capital to do a lot of the things that the books you read are telling you you're supposed to be doing or the YouTube videos you watch are demonstrating. That can be discouraging and frustrating. You know, another reality of a smaller population, it's going to be harder to actually find people who are willing to convert to Christianity. Yeah, I, to I would the agree. Yep. There maybe maybe your community is a Catholic Roman Catholic community community historically. Maybe there are family ties that are really deep. Maybe, you know, everyone works in an environment where it's just really hard and with fewer people, um, you're more known in a small community and that feels like the stakes are higher if you turn from your sin and follow Christ. So people struggle to do that out here. And then it's just not as glamorous. You know, there are not, fortunately, I think this is a good thing. There's becoming an increasing focus on rural ministry, but there are um, not a lot of books written about this. There's not a lot of conferences. You know, T4G isn't like the rural pastors are highlighted there, um, which you should go to T4G. Josh and I are going. You coming? I'm coming. Hey, yo. You are coming. You signed up with us, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I'm coming. Yep. You're staying in our Airbnb? Yes, I am. All right. That's going to be great. You get to put me in there with probably Ben again, or I'm going to invest in- Snore room. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Earplugs for everybody. 
That's great. Even in the middle of the forest, it's hard to sleep next to somebody who snores. <laughs> but it keeps the bears away. It does. The squatch is gone. <laughs> so anyway, you know, it's we're not in this for the glamour, the glitz and the glamour of pastoral ministry. We're not trying to be on some big platform somewhere. Yet, it can be a little discouraging that rural ministry isn't talked about as much. And sometimes for us, we have to do a little translating work when oh. something is explained in a book or in uh, a sermon directed at pastors, and it doesn't really apply on the rural landscape as much. Can you, you can relate to that. Absolutely, I can relate to that. I was I was struggling with illustrations today from a particularly difficult passage, and I was like, nope, that just illustration is just not going to fly. It's just not going to connect. So I had to choose another one that would connect mm. in a moral rural sort of a sense. Yeah. It's not because people are dumb, because people absolutely are not, but they just have a little bit different life experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Relate and connect with different things. This one's a bummer. Small town gossip when the mm. ru- rumor mill starts. We're going. lucky We're lucky that that's not a problem in Wellsboro at all. <laughs> Never. I never even no. heard. Yeah. <laughs> people talk, and sometimes they assume things. I've found out things about myself before by <laughs> hearing them come out of the rumor mill, and... That just, I mean, that exists everywhere, but it's really potent in a small town. So what motivates a guy to be in the ministry in a rural context, to love, pray, preach, and stay in a place where it's just really, really difficult like this? What What do you think? All right. I've, I do have an answer to this one, but it's not going to be the primary answer that we talk about. I've been in this, I've been in this particular community for my entire life and, um, I find it much easier to connect with folks from this community and from this area sometimes than I do from a more urban mm. area. I think that if the Lord were to call me to that more urban area or suburban area, I would be able to do that by his grace and the ability of connecting. But it's just kind of natural for me right now to, that's where my heart is. Um, but still, that's not the big one that we're looking for. Well, either. let me ask you though, what, what do you do with a guy like me who comes alive when I go into a city? And everyone here thinks I'm insane. I, I think people almost think I'm in sin when I tell them that. Like, Well, we accept so, you, but we just talk behind your back. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> getting, so, I'm getting. So like, we'll go to Syracuse or um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going down to Philadelphia. And I know that as I get closer, I, I don't even mind that traffic because as I get closer and closer, it's like my heart is beating. I'm excited. I'm, I just love that vibrancy. So what do you say to a guy like that who maybe feels like, yeah, I'm used to the rural environment, but my... I say to you, bless you, my son. That is an incredible thing because you've gone to your Nineveh and you've made it yours. God has God has provided an incredible, incredible way. So I am thankful to be here, by the way. I'm yeah. not trying to act Oh, like... yeah, he is. And just kind of making that point going the opposite direction. So if you are a more urban dude or a more suburban dude and you've been called to the rural area, hey, there's, there's the gas company. The gas man. Woo-hoo! Dive into it. The Lord will provide. So that speaks a little bit to the motivation because, you know, there can be things where you do just feel naturally connected and you don't mind being in a setting where there's some challenges that maybe some other people would run from. Um, and to that end, we do need to be aware of false motivations. Yep. Like some people may look at what we're, we're calling difficult and say it's easy. You just go and you kind of babysit a group of sheep, which some churches do want a pastor who will just come, give us your Sunday sermon. Um, counsel us if we call on you, show up when we die, and call it good. So really, a, a guy could be falsely motivated by mm. what appears to be an easy lot. You could definitely phone it in 
I think sometimes a rural setting is where some pastors go to retire. Mm, yeah. Or or it's their first step mm-hmm. to launch them into and something. And it's a stepping stone. Yeah, they think it's something bigger and better is on the way. It's true. Um, we could be motivated by a, a small congregation that really loves us. You know, you're in this congregation, you're one of them, you're part of the community. They just love the fact that you're there. And so that makes it easy. Um, you you could be motivated wrongly in a rural context because you're really needed and you feel like, man, I just get to use all my gifts and they these people really need me and depend on me. Those things are all bad. Mm. Um, you could have big fish and small pond syndrome where you feel like you're building a platform for yourself because... You know, you're this big bad pastor and you're going to come in here and just give this town the gospel and everyone's going to get saved because of your ministry. Um, Those things are all bad. Or if you have the martyr syndrome, I'm going to go off to, you know, the small rural context and I'm just going to suffer for Jesus out there all by myself. All of these things are bad motivations. So what really is the only right motivation for a pastor to minister in a rural context? Well, let me share some scripture. How about one from Philippians 3, 7 through 14? I like it. All right, man. So this is Paul speaking, of course. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like them in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, where I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. So this is the motivation of every pastor, rural, inner city, which is equally as challenging for different reasons. Um, Wherever you are, this must be the motivation. And as rural pastors, we need to make sure we're clinging to this. And this starts with a value statement, whatever gain I had. So whatever other things other than just pursuing Christ, Paul says, I've counted those things as loss. And remember, he was in ministry. He was like the Mac daddy of Jewish leaders he was trained by the probably the most wise and famous Jewish rabbi ever in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. Um, he had the prestige. He had the authority. He was like, if somebody had God's favor, it was him. And yet something happened to him that made him recognize that all of that is not just like not of value. It's a loss. It's the opposite of something valuable. It's, it's a liability But what is the gain? Christ. Knowing Christ our Lord, and then as we see throughout the passage, being willing to follow him, not even just to follow him, but to press on, to strain like an athlete at the end of a marathon, just pressing on toward that goal. Um, And Christ is our prize, who we are running for. So what we mean to do in this episode of Rural Pastors Talk is to give that nudge that all of us need to hear 
that reminds us that the reason we need to keep going is Christ. The reason we're serving in this rural ministry is Christ. There is no value in anything else. In fact, if we're trusting in anything else, hoping in anything else, striving for anything else, those things are costly to us. They are liabilities. But if we are motivated by Christ and Christ alone, we can serve in a rural context. We can pick you up who likes rural ministry and drop you in inner city downtown New York in the worst neighborhood, and you could serve him there because you're not in this life primarily for your own comfort or your own contentment or your own strength. You are here, and I am here, and Josh is here, and we're all here to serve Christ who saved our souls. Nothing else matters. All right, man. So I know that you were in Philippians lately, and that really, that passage really spoke to you about rural ministry and how we were called to that. We have been in uh, Ephesians chapter four lately at our church, and elders have been really focusing on the goals that God has set for the church. No matter where you are, that goal is the same. It's to obviously to glorify Christ, but for the people who are there to grow them up and to mature them and to and teach them and bring them to unity into Christ. The same thing that TJ has said, man, echoes itself in Ephesians chapter four. No matter where you're called, the goal is the same. Another place where we have been recently too, where you can dive into is in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is delivering that message to the Ephesian elders. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. You can see his heart. And he's been called to so many different places in so many different parts of the world. Doesn't matter if it's in a gargantuan city like Ephesus or a smaller region and area, he has been called to them and he has built those relationships relationships with people and they they fall on one another and they weep and they pray because they know that they're never going to see Paul again but that relationship we showed right there because it's the heart behind the ministry he loves those people so ultimately if you're in a spot where you're facing some discouragement pray that the Lord would cause in your heart a desire to love those people and point them towards Christ. That would be my encouragement to you. And that grows out of what we're talking about. Absolutely does. passion ourselves to serve Christ no matter what. I think it's Psalm 16 where the Lord is is David's portion and cup. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it points to the fact that the Lord is our portion. He's our cup. To think that he would die to save our souls and draw him to himself and reconcile us to himself. It's truly incredible. So I know there's some discouraged guys listening right now, and there are a couple of Puritan quotes I thought I'd share. One is from Walter Craddock, not Walter Cronkite, Craddock. Um, It says, take a saint and put him into any condition, and he knows how to rejoice in the Lord. So friend, your default position when you rest in Christ is to rejoice. You rejoice in the God of your salvation. Rejoice in the fact that he has seen fit to call you into his service. And especially if he's called you into a particularly difficult kind of service, he means that as a grace in your life. God in his kindness will refine you even through the difficult circumstances that he's placed you under. Um, Your current ministry situation may be a refining fire. And the dross right now is just being loosed from your bones as the temperature heats up. Um, Rejoice as it floats to the surface and your loving Heavenly Father wipes it away. And what is left is pure gold. A second one would be from Christopher Fowler. Believers have joy and comfort. That joy that angels cannot give and devils cannot take. 
That's so cool. Mm. There's there's nothing that can rob us from that comfort. It can't come from anywhere else. Can't come from anything on earth. Can't even come from this heavenly thing called angels who are out of this world, something superior to this. There's no joy in this world that is lasting. The joy, though, that comes from the Lord and the comfort that comes from the Lord is lasting. Only he can give it. And nothing, not even devils themselves, can take that from you. Uh, rest in that comfort. And then the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon. The pleasures arising from a right understanding of the divine testimonies are of the most delightful order. Earthly enjoyments are utterly contemptible if compared with them. The sweetest joys, yea, the sweetest of the sweetest, falls to his portion, who has God's truth to be his heritage. So in light of these things, guys, how do we, how do we as rural pastors and ministry leaders evaluate our motivations? Good question. I often have to do this. We had a day here earlier this week that was cloudy and cold. Guess what I had to do? Check your motivations. Check my motivations. Did you get a blankie? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was just... That was Monday. I was just off. Yeah. I was a little cranky. I'm driving from hither to thither, and I'm thinking, huh, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel a little bit bummed? Mm. It's because I like what we're sitting in right now. It's sunny. The sun is beaming on me. Joe's forehead is glistening. Mm-hmm. My heart glistens with it. I'm so happy. My pores are opening up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy in the warmth and the sun. It just radiates through my body. Um, but in if that's taken away from me and it causes me to be grumpy, cranky, short, um, d- down and depressed, uh, that's a value statement. And remember what Paul said in uh, Philippians. He counts everything else as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So I need not care whether it's sunny or gloomy. I need to value Christ enough that I have that surpassing joy of the Lord no matter what. So ministry context then, you're sitting there and you realize I'm frustrated, I'm irritated with other leadership, I'm upset about what was said about me at the members meeting, I'm... um, I'm a little off when I think about this person. I, I'm not happy with them. Um, whatever it is, I, I'm, I feel like a failure. I feel like I'm isolated alone out here. I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to blow up at somebody. You know, all of those kind of things that I'm sure every pastor has felt at some point to some degree. When you hit that wall, or if you take inventory of your life right now and you say, I recognize some of those things are there, what can you do? What's, what do you think the first thing you should do is? Well, the very first thing you can do is check your prayer life and and pray itself to just, Lord, here is where I am. I, I need your joy. I need your peace. I need your encouragement. Help me to find uh, my motivation in you and my sustenance in you because right now I'm looking for it in all the wrong places and I need desperately, desperately, desperately need you to be able to continue on with this mission that you've called me to. I think that being discouraged and frustrated and... Um, hurt and all of these negative things that we're talking about are often symptomatic of a pastor who stopped praying or who stopped praying well. So when you go before the Lord and you actually depend on him through prayer, you it's like being an athlete who's out on the field surrounded by a really good team and a really good coach. And you know that even if you fail or struggle, they got your back. And 
you're working together, you're striving together. You have somebody from the sidelines shouting encouragements to you um, as, by way of your coach. That sometimes is what prayer does for us as pastors. We're out there on the battlefield or on the on the whatever you guys that like sports play on courts. Is that what you play on <laughs> fields. these days? Fields and courts. Sports ball fields. Yes, sports places. And you're you're striving and struggling, but if you lose that connection with your coach or your teammates, you're just out there struggling in your own strength and power, and you're going to fail and and be frustrated and probably get injured and taken out. And a lot of times, that's just what happens to us as pastors. We lose our connection with our Lord. We stop praying, or at least stop praying well. Our prayers become selfish, brief, uh, compulsory. And all of a sudden, sure enough, here we are, discouraged, frustrated, down, ready to quit. It's just no wonder that that happens. So if your prayer life is not vibrant and you're not discouraged, just wait, it's coming. And if it's not vibrant and you are discouraged, man, start there. Get on your face before the Lord and labor in prayer. Don't make an excuse for why you can't or why you haven't been. Just get after it and do it. The second thing tied to that would actually be being in the word. So remember what what elders are called to do? Be in the prayer, the prayer. Ministry of the word and prayer. Yeah, the ministry of the word and prayer. Thanks, Josh. Mm Mm-hmm. Josh not only corrects my sentences, he sometimes holds my Bible like he did today. <laughs> I, yes, I did. I loved when you were like, your sword, sir. <laughs> I, did, I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> it was great. I figured it was a scriptural encouragement of some sort. So. I, I, I enjoyed it. Good, good. Yes. So, you know, Pastor, your labor should be in the Word and in prayer. If your labor is on, like, how to recruit volunteers and how to make sure your vision is carried out for your church and how to have more people in the pews and all of these kind of things— you are killing yourself. That is not your primary exercise. You should be in the word and in prayer primarily. Apologize kindly for not giving your attention to some of those other things. Don't neglect them, but don't make them your primary focus. That, that'll that kill you. You know, I think there's a reason Psalm 119 is as long as it is, because mm. it's dwelling on the law of the Lord. And the psalmist paints this beautiful poetic verse about how good and perfect the law is. So it's no wonder that when we're not in the word, when we're not placing our focus on the word, th- that we feel starved. Yeah, we are. We are spiritually starved. And it, I like growing in my knowledge of the Lord as I study for a sermon. I don't even mind if all my devotional reading is somehow connected to what I'm preaching on, but it can't be that I'm just sermon prepping all the time. And I think my soul is going to be satisfied in that. I need to actually read and rest in those truths myself. And it's really important that we just meditate on the word, pray through the word, seek the Lord, let him speak to us, not just think that he's going to speak through us Mm. using his word. So if you do find yourself being discouraged, and one of the things that you can do is evaluate what it is that's discouraging you. You can go back to something that you shared a little bit earlier about is, is uh, is the attendance discouraging you? Is it there some sort of other program that's discouraging you? Is there some sort of uh, high expectation that you have that's discouraging you? Or are you discouraged and upset because people just aren't getting it? 
You know, just get, go back to what you have been called to to be in, to, to minister the word. That goal for you is to have life-changing transformation and maturity in those people. And if you're frustrated by that, that's a good thing to be frustrated by because that's what God has called us to, and there's a longing and a yearning for that to happen. But if you're being discouraged by lots of other little things, maybe you need to shift your focus a little bit. Okay, but look at this. So Josh and I went to a meeting earlier today that was an uncomfortable and unscheduled meeting. Yep. But we needed to go. And I left that meeting very discouraged. And Oh, sure, yeah. The reasons had a lot to do with just generally the struggle that it sometimes is for a person to fully commit to following the word of the Lord even when it's hard. And I came back a little discouraged. I, yeah, those are the sorts of things that should discourage us, I think, because... Yes, to a degree. However, I can't wallow in that. Oh, okay, I got you. I have to go, you know what? The results are not up to me. I am a servant of the Lord. Rest in the sovereignty of God. Rest right? in the sovereignty of God. Um, understand that my job is not to solve a problem. My job is to present the truth. And I should encourage it to be received well, but I can't make it be received well. And I don't need to feel like, well, I wasn't winsome enough or, you know, I didn't, I I said this the wrong way or whatever. I told Josh on the way back, my whole goal was just to read the scriptures and to pray and to encourage actually obeying the scriptures. And that really is what we need to do. So if I'm hanging on to these things and putting the weight of other people's issues on my own shoulders, I think that's wrong as well. And that can lead to deep discouragement. One more way would be to think about your own contentment and just ask yourself, am I content with my lot? Am I, am I okay? So if, if you're like me and you're not as wired for rural ministry, but you're willing to do it, which I want to be really clear, I'm like, I'm happy <laughs> to do it, okay? I'm not trying to whine or say I'm looking for a way out or anything like that. It is not that. I don't want to give anybody the wrong impression, but I'm just expressing the fact that my contentment is not associated with living in a rural setting. Um, Unlike a lot of people who live here and they would be insane if they had to leave this place, they would not want to do that. So if your contentment is tied to your circumstances in any way, you're likely to become very discouraged at times. If everything has to be just right in your life for you to be content, guys, that's a problem. Um, you need to be willing to say, God has been so gracious. So what I came to on that gray day is praising the Lord that the weather wasn't as bad as it could have been that day. That you didn't was, have snow in October. Could have. We could have had a hurricane. We could have had an earthquake. We yep. could have had wildfires. Yep. Um, it all could have came crashing down. Um, like Job, big old wind could have came through and smashed my house down. Hmm. And it didn't. God, in his kindness... Um, kept it very nice. And you know, there's a certain beauty even in the grayness that the Lord has made. So just got to get over ourselves sometimes and ask, am I content because I like everything in my life or am I content because God is so kind to me far more than I deserve and I'm happy to just serve him? So those are some things to look at. If you're you're feeling discouraged, if, if rural ministry seems to have gotten you down, that's what we can take a look at. What makes us content? What discourages us? Where is your prayer life? How much are you in the Word? 
uh, just refocus on those particular things. So there you go. Sweet. That's great. So I hear that lull in the conversation, and I know what that means. <laughs> Time to go to our inbox. All right. What did we got, Josh? So this is an email from Brother Jeremiah of Grace Bible Church. I actually got the opportunity to go down there and guest preach, and their church was an absolute blessing. I actually saw someone who I knew in college, in our college ministry, and it was really neat to catch up with her. So 1689 type church down there. Yeah, very 1689, yeah. yeah. Friendly to the word, those folks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hello, brothers. I was very shocked to hear TJ in episode 23 recommend a resource from a very bad teacher, Douglas Wilson. Hopefully that Tim Madden did his thing and called him out on that already. <laughs> he did not Tim Madden me. <laughs> I spent quite a bit of time out of necessity reading and listening to Douglas Wilson earlier this year. And there was very much troubling about his teachings and his overall ministry. That being said, I'm not familiar with the particular resource that TJ recommended. So I'm going to assume the best and treat it as a good resource from a bad teacher. Here's my question. Where do you draw the line regarding when to use a resource from a questionable teacher? What kinds of warnings do you give to those you are using it with regarding the author's overall ministry or problems with this teaching so that the individuals being taught don't assume a, a blanket commendation of that teacher? This is something that we'll be facing next month in our new members class as we use the book What is a Healthy Church Member by Thibidi Inabuale as one of our resources. Of course, that's an excellent resource, but Thibidi himself has unfortunately put some things more recently that we would be in disagreement with as a church. We will still use the resource, but we will make a clear statement to the class that using that resource is a commendation of the contents of that book and not necessarily a full commendation of everything that Thibidi has been teaching. Uh, but even that doesn't seem to quite cover recommending Douglas Wilson. Using Al Mohler's theological triage model, I would argue that Wilson's unbiblical teachings on union with Christ constitute a first-order theological disagreement as it ultimately compromises the gospel meshes itself. However, this larger-than-life personality is very engaging to some, and ultimately that could lead some sheep to get sucked in and influenced by some very bad teaching. Your insight into your thought process and thinking through these issues is greatly appreciated. Thank you. In Christ, Jeremy. Well, thank you for that small and simple to answer question, brother. <laughs> Let me first say that I had the privilege of praying with this dear brother uh, at a Gospel Coalition event, and I was so encouraged, both by the content and the passion in his prayer. Brother, you have been a real encouragement to me, even through that ministry, so thank you so much. Um, and thank you for this question. Um, there's a lot here to address, and I'll start immediately by confessing um, I wasn't real dialed into the controversy resolving our brother, Douglas Wilson. And uh, this is a book I've used for a long time, actually probably since, I don't know, 2008 or nine, somewhere in there as a marriage resource. Off and on, it's a fairly theologically heavy book. And um, Douglas Wilson is, is a pointed individual. He does not mince words and certain personalities and Douglas Wilson do not uh, connect well. So I don't always use it. In the case in which I'm using it now and in previous cases that I've used it, I found to be tremendously helpful because his unpacking of biblical manhood and womanhood is, I think, straightforward, simple, um, and convicting. And sometimes in a marriage situation, what you really need to talk about is not so much communication and who's doing what chores and some of those 
things that we talk about. Sometimes what we need to talk about is a theological framework from which we understand biblical manhood and womanhood and understanding what biblical headship is and some of those things. So I felt that this treatment of that topic was really good. So I have not used a lot of Douglas Wilson materials, and I had not read anything that I noticed was overtly bad. Um, and I'm not you. I'm not on Twitter. I mean, I have a Twitter account, but I don't use it. I miss a lot of those things. Um, I don't read a lot of like discernment blogs and things like this. Uh, Josh likes them. I do. Yeah. I find them to be dark holes that I get sucked into and have a hard time getting out of. And then I start to classify people according to what I read online instead of what I've actually studied. So I actually try to avoid those some. Um, And I just wouldn't be aware of some of the content that our brother here is referring to in this case. However, I do know a few things, some of the Federal Vision stuff that Douglas Wilson has been associated with the past. In the past, I know he's actually backed away from some of that to a degree, um, but I wasn't really dealing with anything related to that. So in this case, it it seemed like a, an okay thing, and I did not give a warning about Douglas Wilson, mostly because I wasn't aware that I would need to, and I, I would still have to sit down and read some of the content you're talking about to actually develop the same awareness that this brother has. What I love, though, is how charitable you are in the question saying, hey, I'm just going to assume that this is a good resource, maybe from a bad teacher. And again, I'm not equating Douglas Wilson as a bad teacher because I I don't know that to be true, Um, although I do value what you're saying here. And I assume that there probably are some pretty major issues out there. Um, So I you know, certainly haven't seen anything in this book that I've recommended that would confuse the gospel. In fact, it really illustrates the gospel well, especially through marriage being a an illustration or representation of it. Regarding Thabiti, we've stayed away from this topic on the podcast because it's really not our aim. Dude, we're, we're talking about rural churches. Like for us <laughs> to enter into this whole discussion is just going to be noise. Um, to a large degree, and there's enough noise out there about it. We use that. We use the Beatty's book about a healthy church member. Wonderful right book. Yeah, One, wonderful. We had a Sunday school going through it when when we came here. Mm, you're welcome. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, eye opening. It was convicting, man. Anyway, I have met the Beatty a couple times. I've heard him speak a number of times, and that brother has been a deep encouragement to my soul. Now I recognize that he said some things in terms of social justice that he ended up deeming unhelpful and actually came back and apologized. And for that, I'm very thankful. I think that's a good example of humility. Um, We're not here to weigh in on the social justice issue um, at this time, at this podcast, even though Josh is like chomping at the bit to do it, right? I, I, I just, yeah, I'll just say yes. Okay. So it's just not likely to be that helpful for a podcast to rural pastors and rural ministry, though it is something we should all be thinking through. And certainly, you know, issues, there's one race. Um, Vody Bauckham says that really magnificently. And in Christ, we, the human race, need to bear his image well, to honor him, to serve him, to do it alongside one another, um, all of those things to the, to the best of our ability. And that's what we're striving to do. So I would not, 
I would not personally look at a brother like Thabiti and say, here's a potentially dangerous teacher that you want to stay away from. However, I would perhaps say something similar to the fact that not all of the statements he's made or the teachings he's shared reflect something that we would agree with. And in fact, he himself has come back and apologized at times for some of the things that he said. I think that's okay to say. Um, if you have to, honestly, here, most people would just be happy to receive the resource and yep. would only focus on that particular resource and not a lot of his other works. To go back to the, to go back to the question, let me just use somebody like Francis Chan. Uh, like if I were going to play a three or four minute Francis Chan video. So if I were to use something like that, I would say, hey, this is a pretty good illustration and I love his passion here. And this if is If you truth. bring a rope on stage, I'm coming after you. <laughs> talk, Joe. Go. Do it. Don't let him get you. <laughs> talk, talk, talk. I've used it down there because it connects oh, with people. Joe, Joe it talk, it, it talk, goes. Go. It works. The That's rope fantastic... has an end. Oh, it took oh my I have an imagination. <laughs> <laughs> he does. There's no uh, willing suspension of disbelief with this guy. But anyway, that's a really great opportunity, though, to be like, hey, Francis Chan uses this great illustration, whether it's a rope or whether it's a balance beam or whatever it is, right? right? But you can say, but he's been hanging out with Todd White. He's been hanging out with some of this word of faith stuff. And that's an opportunity for you then, I think, in our area, to be like, not everything that you see on that particular Christian network is a good thing because so, this. So it's a teaching opportunity too, I think. So, hey, this is a brother that we really appreciate his teaching here, but man, everybody can mess up. So we be, need to be really, really careful that we don't mess up. So this is what we need to learn so that we don't mess up the same way that he has. Now, because of in our rural area, there has been an increase in prosperity gospel yeah. churches. And some of those churches specifically endorse Todd White, and we've seen a number of his videos being shared online in our region that weren't before because of the presence of these churches. Mm -hmm. We actually have truly pressed pause on Chan because we don't want to add confusion to make it look like we're speaking out of both sides of our mouth when we condemn the teaching of Todd White, uh, which all true churches should do. Right. Yeah. So that that would just be an example, Joe, where maybe you're able to teach well through the use of an illustration for someone like that. And I would just say, I'm not, I'm not able to. So I would just, we, we just as elders have just pressed pause. It doesn't mean we've, you know, um, burned all of our Francis Chan materials like we've had to do with some other folks in the yeah. past, but we, we just aren't talking about him. I think there's a sense, too, where you have to just give the benefit of the doubt with certain brothers and sisters when something like that happens. Yes. Like, I think, like, he, he did come back and say, I'll be more careful in publicly, and I'll be more careful in researching who I'm doing ministry with. Um, though I, you know, someone as high profile, I guess you can say, as him, to not have discernment in that way is odd, but. There you go, guys. We got stirred into the soup that we were trying to avoid. Yep here, but uh, that's okay. You as as uh, church elders need to talk, to be diligent, to make sure that whatever resources you're using align with scripture. I like Moeller's triage principle. I think that's really helpful to apply and to think through. And uh, we're not going to talk about it today, but somewhere else you could think about this is, what about music? You know, mm -hmm. if a song is coming from Hillsong or Bethel, does that mean it should be negated because of the source rather than the lyrics? That's something else to really think through. 
So tune in another time when Joe answers that question. On oh, I'll probably be time. wrong anyway. <laughs> no. So let me just say I love the spirit of this email. I appreciate the um, intellectual and theological care that's being taken here. And we love discussions like this, and they're really important to have. Yeah, I think I think uh, Jeremiah and his fellow elders in the church, they haven't had a... a staff pastor quote unquote for two years oh, wow. and they've bucked up and you they're know, great they've, that's awesome they're acting as pastors because that's what they are and it's really it's really a neat blessing to see it's when we wonderful. when lydia and i visited wonderful all right well let's back on out of our email and dive into our top, top twos a little bit of james brown on that one oh Joe, yes, you have a top two looming down there <laughs> in our top two slot. It is outline. looming. On, on, it is. It's looming. Which it's one? Which one you want first? Float the one that's floating. The floating, like the the ghost ship one. That one, yeah. That's the one. Okay, so um, after the conversation that we just got done talking about, I I feel like I should maybe go take a look at um, what ghost ships doing theologically, and I'm not being super facetious about this at all because they did come out of Mars Hill and and Mark Driscoll's kind of I don't know what Mark Driscoll's doing right now, but this is a band that came out of Mars Hill Mars Hill Church. I think that they dropped this record five or six years ago, but there's a great song on there called Mediator, and we are actually going to play that at uh, church this upcoming Sunday because we're going to dive in to the deep end of the pool of Hebrews chapter 4 that begins to talk about Jesus as our great high priest. And even though it's more contemporary lyrics and they're pretty simple, it's a great song uh, to be able to introduce Jesus to us as, to be able to introduce, to be able to introduce Jesus as our high priest. And the chorus goes, there is only one God, there is only one mediator standing between God and man. He's the only way to salvation. Hey, that's a pretty solid lyric. And so that is my spiritual top two for you this year, this day. So and that's, that's my spiritual top two for oh. us to be able to to use that particular song. I'll have a listen. You have a listen? It's pretty good. I'm looking it's at pretty, the lyrics right now. It's pretty upbeat and Seems pretty, pretty catchy. Dope. It's, pretty, it's a pretty solid song. I like it. And my non-spiritual top two... I never, ever, ever thought that I would buy this expensive a pair of socks, <laughs> but I did. How expensive are they, Joe? $23 a pair. Woo! That, that's that's a junk. That's darn tough, darn tough socks. Get it? Socks darned. I get it. They darned, See what they darned. Did there? I did. That was pretty funny. Um, but okay. they're made of merino wool, and I took these on our hiking trip, and they did pretty good. Were They've you, actually got a lifetime warranty on them. Were you so, roasty toasty? Well, even when I was wet, I was roasty toasty. Never got cold because merino wool will keep you warm. Even, even when it's, if wet. it's wet. Did you get them from cold. Asif's? I did get yeah. it from Wally's. Ooh, shop local. Yes. Well, done. well done. I'm proud I, of I you. I bought two pairs, so I spent $46 on socks. Now, I've heard that if because they're a lifetime warranty, uh-huh. if you walk in and they're, and they're broken or bad, you just get a new pair right away. I think that that's how yeah. it works. Nice. I'm pretty excited about that. So I just threw all my other socks away, and I'm just wearing these two pair. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lie. That's the way to do it. That. But they work the pretty good. So Mediator by the band Ghost Ship and Darn Tough Socks. DJ? Yes. What's your top two? Well, I'll go spiritual first since you did. 
Um, there is an article on the Gospel Coalition called Eight Signs of True Repentance that Josh is linking right now because he's really good at that criminal activity mm-hmm. called linking. And I won't give you any details. You just Sometimes we need to evaluate repentance in our own heart, and certainly as shepherds, we need to evaluate repentance in the hearts of those who we're walking alongside, who we're in covenant membership with. And uh, this article is particularly useful when somebody isn't sure if they're repentant or they think they are and they're showing signs that they're really not, to just give this to them and say, let me just walk you through what biblical repentance looks like. And uh, it's also a good self-evaluation tool. Mm. Um, Non-spiritual, I, in preparation for our hike, was confronted by a dear brother who wanted to know the details of my first aid kit. And he's a great hiker. He One time he went hiking and it was like 20 below zero and he carried on his back a leg of lamb and he roasted it over the fire and ate it with mint jelly on the trail. Are you kidding me? He's that level. Does he have a beard? No. Rich, <laughs> Rich McCoy. I have hope. Oh, we're all of us beardless, man. So We have a hero. Yes. Dude, Rich McCoy did that? Uh, he totally That's did that. That's incredible. And Rich was concerned what that a guy. as a relatively new backpacker that I would not have adequate first aid supplies. So I informed him that the forums say all you need is a little bit of duct tape. And that's your first aid kit. He probably didn't like that. Throw it over a blister. Yeah, he didn't like that. So he brought me a first aid kit that he designed himself. And he trained me over lunch how to use it. And I kind of thought, okay, like, Show me how to apply a Band-Aid, Rich. That, thank you. But he, we get there, and he's like, okay, I've been injured. Um, I've, I've just got shot in the arm. Help me. Here's the first aid kit. And you know what? I wouldn't have been very helpful. So on the outside was a tourniquet, and he showed me how to use this tourniquet. And there are some other contents inside that are really helpful, like a sucking chest wound bandage <laughs> if you get shot. There's actually a bandage for that. That was a possibility where we were camping. 3.47 in the morning, somebody had their AR going crazy. I feel like I should say that Rich McCoy is a Civil War reenactor as well. That's so. a helpful clarifying statement. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> yeah. I mean, this this dude knows what those guys he went through, knows. so he's prepared. More yes. reasons to minister in a rural area. Yeah, that's true. And that actually is a legit thing to have, and all kinds of blood clotting things, and it was great, but the tourniquet is what I specifically want to talk about. He explained to me that if you have a... a an injury that's you're bleeding from profusely on your arms or legs, you need a tourniquet, which I knew that, but I always thought, man, I'll just take my shirt off and tie it around my arm or my leg or whatever. Well, apparently that's really not the best way to do it. So what you saw in the movies growing up may not save your life. So this tourniquet's really cool. It's all staged. You just rip it off the bag, slide it over the, the limb, and then it's got this thing, this cord on it that you pull tight, Velcro it down, and then it has basically... It's called a windlass. It's a, a wrench, basically, that you turn, and it cranks down the tourniquet, and it totally stops the blood flow. And it's got a little place on it to write the time if you are have your wits about you to do that. But amazing little thing. So I actually bought one to throw in the car. 
I thought if, the, if there's a car accident, that would be the type of time that you could really see an injury like that happening. And uh, I'll throw it in my hiking bag whenever I go hiking mm-hmm. because something like that could happen. You could take a spill. Man, we were walking on the edge of the canyon. There were places where if you just tripped a little bit, you're going to be majorly injured. That's a long way down. It's a long way down. So if if you want, you can look into the Recon Medical. I got the black one. One pack FBA tourniquet. Generation 3 military spec Kevlar metal windlass aluminum first aid tactical SWAT medic pre-hospital life-saving tourniquet. Dude, that's it's exhausting. Long that's exhausting, but that's what the Amazons called it. So, um just go on Amazon, look it up. Josh will actually link that in the show notes. Indeed, as well. I will. With a lot shorter name. I think it's worth having one around. So that's it for my top twos, and that's it for this episode of Rural Pastors Talk. Like you to thank you for joining us, Josh. If they want to see more of us, what do they do? Well, they they really won't see us. They, they will. Can listen they go to, to the us. right they place. They could go to the well, Facebooks. Yeah, they could yeah. go to the Facebooks. We post some pictures there. You got to put a picture of us here out in the park. Already done. Hey, see, yep. they can see us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they can email us at ruralpastorstalk at gmail That's ruralpastorstalk at gmail They can look us up on Facebook. They can tweet to us. At Rural Pastors. I love how you said that. Yeah, yeah, that was for you. Were you ri- was I right? No. Oh. <laughs> Tweet at. Just humoring me. I was appeasing. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yep. Uh, you are not a yes man, Josh. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Hey, we'll see you guys next time on Rural Pastors Talk. Adios. Bye. Raise your Ebenezer. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Rural Pastors Talk. Hey, by the way, if you'd like to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. Rural Pastors Talk at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>